0: So this evening, we'll be looking at the first seven verses of Psalm 145. As you can see from the inspired heading there, that this is a psalm of David. Um, David wrote 75 of the 150 psalms. And this psalm that we'll be looking at tonight is his last psalm, the last psalm in the book of Psalms that he wrote. Um, You can also see that this is a psalm of praise which what might be somewhat surprising is that this is the only psalm that has that heading and that title. There's a sense in which all of the psalms are songs of praise, but this one in particular is the only one that is specifically titled as such, and if you read through it, you can understand why. It's of all the psalms, the clearest and the highest praise, and it's so it is fitting that David would sing it. Steve Lawson said that this is David's best Psalm, And he saved his best for last. Spurgeon said that it is David's crowning jewel. So we are going to be looking at the first seven verses, but I would highly recommend that you go through and read the whole thing because it is a wonderful psalm. It's also recognized and cherished by the the Jewish people throughout the ages as as they have recited and sung this psalm in the morning and the evening every single day. It's a psalm that instructs us to praise the great God of the Bible. And as important as we know that praising God is, how often do we actually do it? It should be a desire of ours as, as followers of Christ, as children of God, to praise Him. It is also a command in Scripture that we do it. Praise is the grandest pursuit that we have, and it is the ultimate priority in our life. But the truth is that we get bogged down with the cares of this world the tending of our families, the rigors of work. Those are all good and very important things that should be done, but unfortunately we allow them to crowd in on our praise of God. But the irony is that the fellowship of the family, the rigors of work, the daily grind that you go through in your home is where some of the greatest praise of God can come from. And so Psalm 145 summons all believers to this end. The unending praise of the great and glorious God of the Bible. And important for us here tonight is it calls us as parents to pass on the torch of that praise to the next generation so that there is never an ending to the praise of God. It is never interrupted. The first seven verses of this psalm praise God for his greatness. And in Psalm 145, 1 through 7, David gives us five instructions on how we are to praise the great God of the Bible. Because as leaders in our home, we should set an example of that. We should pass on the act of worship to our kids as they see us doing that and they hear us proclaim the greatness of God. And David begins here in the, with the opening by pinpointing the object of our praise, and it is our great God, the King. He begins with verse 1, I will exalt you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. David begins saying, I will exalt. Exalt means to lift up to a high place, to build up. The idea is making the praise and the glory of God your goal of your life, the pursuit that you have. Not the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of wealth. Not the pursuit of land or fame or respect or comfort or the American dream or any other thing that the world would say, this is what you should pursue. But rather the praise of God and to lift him up and exalt Yahweh. And this is David's deliberate and his determined vow. You'll see that six times in these seven verses, he makes the dedication that I will. I will exalt. I will bless. I will praise. I will meditate and I will joyfully shout. He is saying that nothing is going to get in the way of my praise of Yahweh. This is a personal vow to a personal God. He says this is my God, the King. David's praise flowed out of a personal relationship with the God of all creation. It's a possessive my God. The object of our praise is someone who David knew intimately. And had a great love for. God is worthy of our praise because of his great and wondrous works, but better yet is the personal affection and the praise that overflows from our heart when we remember the intimate knowledge that we have of him through reading the scriptures, when we remember his saving power and the familiar love that we have for him as his child. One commentator said that when when one has come to the point of knowing the Lord in a personal way, the desire to sing his praise and to sing it often becomes very strong. So, the object of our praise is a personal God. He is my God. He is my Father. And you can say the same if you are in Christ. But Yahweh is also the sovereign king, he is the ruler of all the most powerful nations, the highest kings. The highest rulers in the history of the world are but a drop in the ocean compared to the realm and the power and the might and the majesty of the king of kings. First Chronicles 16.31 says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations that the Lord reigns. Psalm 46.5 says that your throne, O God, is forever and ever. David, as a king, owed his allegiance to the king of kings. And even as a monarch himself, he humbly extolled the greatness of his king. So don't let your kids, as you are managing your home, see you as a self-promoter. Don't train them to be the king of their lives as you are the king of yours. But rather, humbly seek to serve the king and to raise him up and not yourself. The next vow is to bless his name. We've seen that extol means to lift up. To bless means to strengthen a reputation. So our desire is to strengthen the reputation of God. And it is his name which refers to his nature. It refers to the reputation that is garnered from his works. To strengthen and bless his name is to declare him to be the source of all of our success. David was no stranger to success. He he was a man of great victories. He was a slayer of Goliath. He led many battles. He drove out Israel's enemies. He was much loved by his people, but he never exalted himself. He always praised God, which was a stark contrast to the kings around Israel. It's a stark contrast to the kings throughout all of history. It's a stark contrast to the politicians that we have in this country who seek to praise themselves. But he sought, and we should seek, to strengthen the reputation of God. In our successes, in our lives, whether whether they're big or small, we should glorify God and bless his name. So the object of our praise is the God and our king. Next is the frequency of praise, and it is every day, and it is forever. Our praise for the king is not sporadic. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's not swallowed up by the cares of this world, but it is every day. Whether our d- days are good or bad, whether they're filled with peace or stress, wealth or sickness, they could be exciting or mundane, busy or, bo- or boring. But each and every day, minute by minute, task by task, hour by hour, we can bless and praise God. Now that might seem like a difficult, daunting, or even impossible task, particularly if you have grown up thinking that you praise God in church or possibly in your car when no one else can hear you sing. But the truth is that we can bring God glory in every walk of life. In fact, God has specifically equipped you and put you in this season of life that you're in right now so that you can bring a particular glory to God in your daily activities because glorifying God is not a separate activity. But it should fuel and power and motivate everything that we do. And we do this through how we treat others, how we react when others sin against us, how we parent our kids. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your behavior excellent, Peter says that when others observe them, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. There will be people in heaven who are glorifying God for eternity because of your good deeds, because you decided to glorify God with your acts of kindness and grace, and you shared the gospel with them. So our behavior matters, and we can glorify God in the mundane things of life. Now, your life might be filled with exciting adventure, and I hope it is from time to time, but chances are it's pretty monotonous it's probably like my life filled with dishes and at one point diapers and databases and disagreements and the truth is that you know that the diapers don't go away you change a diaper and you're done with that one but there's another one coming sometimes some of you have two kids in diapers and they never stop it's a constant diaper changing extravaganza (laughs) if you're in work at work, you have a database that you do. You finish that work and there's another spreadsheet that comes into your, uh, your inbox. You've got to deal with that. If you are living with more than yourself, there's another human being in your home, then you have disagreements, constant disagreements. And how you react in those moments, how you perform in those daily tasks can bring God great glory. Think about it this way. So Jesus brought God glory every minute of his 33 years on earth. But 30 of those years were v- the first century century-century equivalent of your life. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the first 30 of his years were very normal, filled with labor and family and relationships and the ins and outs of being in a backwater village in the out-of-the-way out of region in an insignificant nation. He lived as the oldest child of a large family and everything that goes with that, with the chores and the responsibilities and the siblings and the disagreements that they had. He, of course, was sinless, but those around him were not. And he was surrounded by sinners, yet he glorified God by loving them no matter what. And so we can praise God with all of our heart as well. And you are uniquely positioned to give God glory in a way that no one else can. So let me challenge you to retrain your thinking. To look at your daily problems, the daily issues that, you come, that come at you in life as an opportunity to display the glory of God as you hold up Christ. So that every time your spouse sins against you, you react with love. When you're doing your job with all of your heart, even though you are passed over or you don't get the recognition that you think you deserve, When your child for the hundredth time disobeys, look at that as an opportunity for the gospel. When you patiently have the great privilege of fetching your child a second glass of water at nine o'clock at night, when there is no way that he's that thirsty. When you love and serve those around you who are in your care while lifting up Christ, you are bringing praise to his name. And we'll also notice here that this praise it is every day, and it lasts forever and ever. He says, I will pray your, praise your name forever and ever in verse 2 and in verse 1. Our love and our devotion is not something quickly given and forgotten. It's not a momentary whim, but it begins now and it lasts forever. Literally, it says, to eternity and evermore. That's how long we're going to be praising God. Now, since you guys have kids, you know who Buzz Lightyear is. Buzz's famous line, I'll start it and you finish it. He says, to infinity and beyond. beyond. That's right. And that's the idea. Our praise for God will stretch to eternity and beyond, to evermore. That's the opportunity that we have to praise him and bring him glory forever and ever. So David has pointed out the object of our praise, which is our king and our God. We have seen that our praise is every day and it continues forever. And next in verse 3, we see the reason for our praise, and that is God's greatness. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So, this Hebrew word for great is all over the Old Testament. It's used in ways to speak of what is great in size and height and extent. It's also used to talk about what is great in weight and significance and influence and power. It's used throughout the scripture to frequently describe both the character and the attributes of God. Who he is by nature and what he does with his deeds. Yahweh is described as being a great God, a great king. A gr- he is great in love. He is great in kindness. He is great in compassion and he is great in power. He does great wonders. He gives great victories. He has great mercy on those who cry out to m- for him to him for mercy and he has a great wrath and a great indignation against sinners there are a myriad of reasons that we could praise god but here specifically we praise him for his greatness and he is highly to be praised the word translated highly is actually a, the second time that the of the three times in this one verse that the word great is used it's actually great is yahweh and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable but this is the second usage; is a different word that works to in, um, to intensify the abundance of our effort. It's as if he's saying, "Yahweh is very greatly to be praised." So we give all of our excessive force and our energy and our action and our eagerness and our ability towards praising him because he is great. So no song can be sung too well, and no task can be performed too great. There's no emotion too deep and no shout too loud because God is great and he requires a great response. And his greatness, he says, is unsearchable. And we will have all eternity to gain an intimate knowledge of God, all eternity to study him, and we will never scratch the surface because it's unsearchable. It's inexhaustible and can't be fully realized. It's beyond human comprehension. So one thing that is said to be very hard for the human mind to comprehend is the vastness of space. I was trying to think of something as an illustration of something that we can't comprehend, which doesn't make sense because we're going to try to comprehend it, but let's try it anyways. So the vastness of space is something that is very hard to comprehend because our solar system, for example, is 7.4 billion miles from end to end. By the way, I got this off the internet, so (laughs) fair warning. And it's supposed to be incomprehensible, so if it doesn't make sense, that was the point. The orbit of Pluto is 7.4 miles in diameter. Okay, that's pretty far. Our Moon is a puny 239,000 miles away. The, the, the diameter of the orbit of Pluto, or the distance of our, of our orbit, is 7.4 billion miles. So for example, if you stood on Pluto and you shined a flashlight back towards the middle of the solar system, towards the sun, to get to the other side, it would take that light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, 11 hours to get to the other side. So 7.4 billion miles is a long ways away. Of course, a solar system is just one set of planets orbiting one star, which is one star in a sea of 400 billion other stars in a galaxy. So to try to comprehend the incomprehensible of the vastness of space, let's say that you shrunk those 7.4 billion miles down to the size of, I've got one here, a quarter, okay? So now every inch equals 4.7 billion miles, okay? I'm holding 7.4 billion miles in my hand here, okay? So let's say that you wanted to travel to the nearest star. The nearest star in our solar system is Alpha Centauri, and it's 25 trillion miles away. So if we're using our handy-dandy scale, where 7.4 billion miles is one inch, that means that every step that we take on our journey is 100 billion miles. Okay, My steps are roughly 100 billion miles per step, if this equals 7.4 billion miles. Does that make sense? If not, that's okay. We'll keep going. If we wanted to travel to Alpha Centauri, with each step being hundred billion miles, we'd have to walk for a while. We'd go out here south, we would pass the south building, pass the children's building, pass the south, or the new uh, student center, to the edge of the property, I actually walked this off, okay? And we could put a quarter down at that end, and that would be 25 trillion miles if one hundred billion miles is one step, okay? So that's pretty far, okay? we've only reached the nearest star of the 400 billion stars in our one galaxy. This is the Milky Way galaxy. Now, there are, scientists say, 2 trillion galaxies. You're looking at about 1,500 of them right here. Okay, there's 2 trillion of those, each with billions, hundreds of billions of stars in each one of them. Each one of those stars is about 25 trillion miles apart. Okay, this is crazy. We can't think about it. We can't comprehend it. But how far is the nearest galaxy? The nearest galaxy is named Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy and I'm probably mispronouncing that and I don't really care, okay? <laughs> it is actually pretty close. Okay, the Canis Canis whatever Major Ga- Dwarf Galaxy is actually very close. It's so close that it's said to be merging with our galaxy. Okay? So it is right on our doorstep. So we've traveled to Alpha Centauri, Let's say we grabbed a flashlight and we pointed it out towards the nearest galaxy. It is so far away, even though it's close, that it would take that light 25,000 years to reach the nearest galaxy. And if we are using our same scale, and we wanted to walk to the nearest galaxy, with every step being a hundred billion miles, try to wrap your mind around one billion miles, we can't do that, but each step is a hundred billion miles, you'd have to keep walking south, past South Lake, out of the Metroplex, 236 miles to Houston, because the nearest galaxy is 147 quadrillion miles away. That is vastness. And that's a tiny fraction of a smidgen of a tiny dust in the vastness of space. So much so that if we wanted to walk to the outer reaches of the universe, we would have to keep walking for... Out of the Earth's atmosphere, past the moon, past Pluto, past the Canis Major Dwarf galaxy, and on for billions and billions of steps to billions and billions of miles because the vastness of space is so great that we can never comprehend it. It is massive. It is great. It is unsearchable. But here's the thing, guys. Yahweh created it with words from his mouth instantly. God is great. He is greatly to be praised. He counts the number of stars and he calls them all by name. They were created to give him glory. The vast majesty of the heavens exists to glorify our great God. But here's the thing too. The vast majesty of creation, of of the, the universe, was not made in his image. You are. You are specifically designed to bring God glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that everyone who called on my name, I have created for my glory. So I'm trying to get you to understand, as I'm trying to comprehend myself, how great God is. And he has created you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The greatness of God is unsearchable, but we need to search it out with all of our hearts. Try to find it. David summed it up in First Chronicles twenty nine ten, where he says, in verses 10 and 11, he says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, Yahweh, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, yours is the dominion, Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. So you were created to glorify God. But our next point is really the, the, the rub here, guys. You were created to glorify God, and you were created to be parents of kids so that you can pass on that praise to the next generation. Because there is an importance of the, the legacy of praise from generation to generation. Verse 4 says, One generation will praise your works to another and will declare your mighty acts. So in Foundations this year, as we've talked about, we're walking through the uh, various things that the Bible has to say about parenting. And as I'm sure you are, I'm taking copious notes because I have a lot to learn. I've got six kids, and my wife and I are trying to to work through this in the same way that you guys are. And if you're like me, the focus of much of your parenting is how do we train our kids to be adults, right? Our kids know how to be kids, and we want them to be successful, God-fearing God-honoring adults. We love our kids and we want what's best for them. And so we discipline them Discipline them, and we spend an insane amount of time getting to the heart of why they do what they do, which is, it takes a lot of time because they do some crazy things. We lead them to the gospel. We help them try to make wise decisions. I want my kids to live faithful lives and come to know Christ at an early age because it's a, a great life filled with joy and purpose and i want them to join me in eternity i want them to be there in heaven with me those are good and those are worthy goals and they're all through scripture but that's not what this is saying this here in verse four one generation will praise your works to another is not about them and it's not about us it's about preserving and ensuring god's adequate praise for all eternity David has said, I will extol, I will bless your name, I will praise you, and I will lift you up. And now he makes a switch saying, I'm going to pass on that praise to the next generation. I'm going to pass on the praise of your glorious greatness because it can't stop with David and it can't stop with you. God's praise needs to continue and continue and continue. It needs to be proclaimed again and again, year after year, generation after generation. It can never stop. They need to be proclaimed. That's why as, as mundane as your life might feel from time to time, it is saturated with importance. Because should everybody else stop praising God, you can't. Your job is to pass on the legacy of praise to God, to the next generation. As an example of how important this is, you'll remember that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before he was crucified, the crowd had gathered around and somewhere in front of him and somewhere behind, him, and they were, they were praising God because he was worthy of praise and they should have done that. Matthew 21, 9 says, Now the crowds going ahead of him said to those who followed, They were shouting, Hosanna, glory, praise, adoration, joy to the Savior. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, because Jesus must be praised. God must be praised. The Pharisees, you remember, didn't like it. They didn't like that obvious call to Jesus as God and his his deity. And so they told Jesus to shut up your disciples, rebuke them, tell them to stop saying that. And you'll remember that Jesus replied, I tell you, if these, these disciples, these people stop speaking, the stones will cry out. Because God must be praised. And our job is important because we have to make sure that the stones never have to cry out. We need to train the next generation to praise God so that there's never a moment when he is not glorified. So, how do we do that? Well, thankfully, this comes with a handy guide for us. Verses 5 to 7, we have the method of praise. The method of how we do this. It says on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of your power and of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and I will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of descriptions of God that we could talk about for a week, about how great God is. But I want to focus our remaining minutes on the way that David goes about glorifying God because that's going to instruct us on how we can do that as well. But before we do that real briefly, you'll notice that David once again picks up this personal vow of I will. I will meditate and I will tell of your greatness, he says. But the men in verse 6 is actually just a plural form that could be better translated as they. In fact, if you have an ESV, it's translated that way. So if we did that as many translators do, it would look something like this. Literally saying, which reflects kind of a back and forth between these generations. While I meditate on your wonderful works and the glorious splendor of your majesty, they will speak, meaning this, this next generation, they will speak of the power of your awesome acts. While I, while I tell of your greatness, they will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. So here we have an active passing of that baton of praise to God from one generation to the next, right here in these verses. But the method of how this is accomplished starts in verse 5, where we have meditation, right? It begins with meditation, it begins with your personal study, your prayer time. Meditation always relates to an inner mental activity, it includes emotion and thinking, but it's mainly regarding study and it always has to do with the heart so his works are always studied his word is always studied the things that he does is mumbled on your mouth as you recite them throughout the day that's the idea here behind meditation so the passing on of the praise of Yahweh to the next generation begins with your personal dedication to study the word of God and know what it says and meditate on it day and night And then encourage your children to read and study on their own. But we don't stop there because we have to continue. We have to teach them. We have to do that with everyday conversation. It says right here that we should speak. We shall speak and we will tell of your greatness. To speak is just a reference to regular old everyday chit-chat dialogue or conversation. The greatness of God should be always on your lips in your home when you're talking to your kids. It's not enough for us to meditate on his greatness, but we need to speak of his greatness. Just have it be a regular part of your conversations. If you really think back of what you talk about all day with your kids, how much of it is revolving around how great God is? Chances are, if it's like my household, I've got to get better at this myself. We talk a lot about the weather. We talk about sports. We talk about what we're going to do tomorrow, what kind of entertainment we're going to have, what we're going to do next week. And before long, your time is all spin up with that. Well. The the grace of God and His salvation, His awesome creation, all of those things should be readily on our lips all the time. Um, Just a month or so ago, Chip walked through Deuteronomy 6 with us and did a great job doing that. And it says there that we are to sit, we are to talk about God when we sit in our home and we walk by the way when we lie down and when we rise. Those are all synonyms for all day, every day. We should just dialogue with our kids and and boast of God's greatness. And next is family devotions. Okay? These are so important, guys, though not directly reflected here. Deuteronomy six, six tells us that we should teach God's word diligently to our children. And regular, formal times of instruction is really important. You know, when we when we sit down and we learn and we study and we, you know, meditate on the word of God, we need to pass that on. And this is gonna look Different for you, depending on the age and the season of life that you're in, the age of your kids. But you gotta get it done, okay? So just practically, you know, I think I've talked about this before, but something that we do in our family is we do this around the dinner table. We eat dinner, we're all together anyways, and then we kind of push the plates away and we we open up the Bible. We open up our, our family devotion guide and we go through it that way. Something you might try. But here's another helpful thing might be to start a habit of doing this. Because your kids are creatures of habit, right? They're going to develop a routine. They do it, they know when to get up, they know when they eat, what they do to get ready for school, what they do to get ready for bed. Chances are you just have to say it's time for bed and they might not want to do it, but at least in their mind they know this is the time we do it and these are the things that I do to get ready for bed. We'll add a regular time of devotion and study into that. Okay, so that when dinner time comes we eat and we study. When we wake up in the morning, we brush our teeth, and then we open the Bible. Whatever it is, develop that routine with your kids, and then they'll be ready to do it. I mean, in our house, half the time, Jolene and Gus, who are six and nine, are the ones that, when we're done eating, they're the ones that go to get the devotion guide. So they know that it's time to do that. It's just trained in their, in their mentality. It might be very helpful for you to to, to do that, develop a habit or a routine of a specific time that you're doing these devotions with your kids. Because our kids digest hours and hours of, of secular education, entertainment, all of those things are, are pouring into them and none of it has any regard for the greatness of God. None of that has any regard to training them to pass on the torch of praise of God to the next generation. And so we need to be actively doing that and you need to do that in your home. However you however it looks for you, just do it. And finally, there are times where we shout, where we shout out in praise or songs of praise. Verse 7 says, They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and I will shout joyfully of your righteousness. So it says the memory of things studied, the things that you study, the truths, the stories of Scripture that highlight God's abundant goodness are eagerly uttered. They burst forth, it literally says. If you've ever been to Yellowstone or you've seen pictures of it, there's geysers there that, that build up pressure more and more and more and then it just releases and it explodes. Okay, That's the idea here. The, the more you study, the more you know about God, the more you speak of his greatness, eventually it's just a pressure of awesomeness that bursts forth out of your mouth. And this could be done with a shout of joy, which would be a little strange, but it could also be a joyful song. That's literally what this means, which to me actually is the same thing. A shout and a song, for me, is the same thing. My song is not that great. So let me encourage you to carry on the legacy of praise through singing songs in your home. Okay, Get a hymnal, if it's just going to be a aca- cappella. If you play the guitar, get a CD, something that you can do in your home to, to start singing praises to God and praise him for his salvation because when we examine God's greatness perhaps the most amazing thing about God's greatness is that this great awesome powerful God who creates galaxies and universes with words from his mouth loved us enough to send his son to die for us while we were hostile to him we did nothing to ingratiate ourselves to him but he decided to redeem us. And the thought of that makes us want to weep and shout and meditate and speak of his greatness forever and ever. And the sum total of this method of praise should be an awe and a fear and a reverence for this great God that we serve first in our hearts and then we pass that on to the hearts of those in the next generation. Let's pray together. Lord, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. Lord, I pray for all of us here tonight that we would um, we would praise you, Lord, that we would glorify you, Lord, that it would always be on our lips. Lord, we praise you when we are so grateful and thankful for the cross, that you have saved us, that you have sent your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us ways that we can best pass on the torch of your praise to our children and to their children so that you are always praised. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.